0: I'm doing triathlon. Like I'm a professional triathlete. It's pretty niche sport. Like there's, there's a small group of people. You're not overseas fighting in wars. You're not doing all of this. So that, that kind of puts things into perspective. And, you know, I, I try and, uh, I try and be my best self and, you know, to be a good role model for people who are younger than me. And it, it gets hard. Like if you're just doing things selfishly for yourself racing for yourself and all that, it, that can only take you so far. And I mean, you you can look at multiple different athletes who have said this, they're racing for um, someone who's passed away or for their family. Like, I, I feel like I'm racing not just for myself out on the course, but for all the people who, who helped me get to where I am, for my support crew. And um, like, I really, I wouldn't be able to do this sport without that, whether that's sponsors or my parents and family, my friends and each time I step on that start line, like that's that's one of the things that I'm thinking about. And there's there's more in life too than just results and all of that. You should you should strive to be be a good person.
1: That was Ben Knut, professional triathlete and Olympian. And this is the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. Hey everyone, what's up? I'm Jess, your host. Welcome back for episode 43 of the YTP, where we shed light on and share the stories of people who are looking, finding, and living their purpose. We know you guys have a choice every time you queue up the show, and we're so honored to have your support. Thank you to everyone who has used the Amazon banner ad. And if the show is speaking to you, if it's helping you stay motivated on your commute or focused on your goal or helping you make changes in your life that are aligned with your higher good, then please consider becoming a patron of the show on Patreon. For as little as $2 a month, you guys can help us keep this show alive. These links are in the show notes, and we're so grateful to have you along for the ride. So, on today's ride, today's ride includes a true champion. And not just because he's an actual champion, but because Ben Canute lives and breathes a champion mind and body every day of his life. He is committed to being the best person he can be, he does the work. He races the best on the day, and he knows that each course is different, each day is unique, and none are to be compared, only to be built upon. He doesn't have a destination to get to, just a daily journey to test himself and keep climbing. From our conversation, I didn't pick up on those petty hang-ups that so many of us trudge around with. He doesn't race with a watch. He races with the race. He knows that wallowing in failure will only hold him back, and so he trades up from the option of self-pity when he falls flat and uses those experiences as opportunities to become a better athlete. Literally, to sit across from Ben in his home in Tucson last November was to sit in the midst of greatness. His level of athletic excellence is far beyond what any of us could understand, and yet he is so down-to-earth because he refuses to get caught up in the hype. His triathlon career was born as a spectator and young boy watching his dad compete at the Mrs. T's Chicago triathlon. At the age of seven, Ben started swimming and at the age of eight, he completed his first triathlon. He quickly became a member of a high performance youth triathlon team under the guidance of a dedicated coach with a dream to see one of his competitors reach Olympic status. Ben, with the unwavering support of his parents, has trained like a real athlete since day one, and he became that Olympian just last year. Ben represented the U.S. in Rio last summer, and despite an honorable race performance, he feels as though he has some unfinished business at this level of racing. He details his Olympic experience for us from the swim, to the ridiculous power required to stay in the lead pack on the bike, to the smoking fast 10K run. Ben talks about his power numbers from the race, but what he doesn't reveal is what many of us have been talking about for the last few weeks, is that he peaked out at over 1,000 watts in Rio last summer. Check out the article from his coach, Jim Vance, in the show notes. I mean, that's insane, but it's this level of athleticism that is called for by an athlete of this caliber. I mean, it's simply amazing. Ben was also instrumental last year in securing the U.S.'s first world title in the ITU Mixed Relay, where he posted the fastest individual split. In 2015, Ben earned the USAT Triathlon Elite National Champion title in Chicago at the Grand Final. But the best thing about that race was his race strategy. And we talk about that in today's podcast. He finished the 2015 season as the top-ranked American man in the ITU world. In 2013, he won both draft legal sprint distance and Olympic distance titles at the USA Triathlon Collegiate National Championships. And in 2008 and 2010, Ben was the USA Triathlon Junior Elite National Champion. It's athletes like Ben that our USAT dollars support. And so if you haven't listened to our podcast with Barry Siff, USAT president, check out the show notes for that link. We get into this subject with Barry about how our USAT dollars are spent. And at least for me, it shed a whole new light on the importance of my membership. So I could go on about Ben and his accolades and his very bright future in the sport. But instead, I'm going to release you into our experience with U.S. Olympian, Mr. 1000 plus watts, Mr. Team USA superstar, Ben Canute. All right. We are rolling. We are official, Ben. You're officially on the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. How does it feel?
0: Great. Yeah. Thanks for having (laughs) me on.
1: Thanks for having us in your house. And no, actually really thank you for having us down here because I know you're leaving today to head up north to Phoenix where actually we're staying. And tell us a little bit about what you're doing up there. Oh, you're going to Phoenix, but then you're going to Colorado, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about what's going on in in Colorado.
0: Yeah, so uh, USAT is holding uh, a junior select camp. So I'm going up for the weekend that the junior guys are gonna be up there at the Olympic Training Center. And basically, I'm with me and Eric Lagerstrom. We're just kind of like the elite mentors, just talking about our experience, my experience coming up through the junior elite and youth elite programs, and just talking about kind of what it takes to be an elite triathlete and how I I got to this point from uh, back when I started way back when. Did you have when you were in the program, did you have elites come and talk to you? Kind of you know, program? we we did have every so often we did they they did we didn't have the opportunity to go there. We would have different camps and stuff growing up, but um, I don't remember meeting too many pros or elites unless we like kind of conjoined. I remember in 2007 we kind of had our elite nationals the same time as the pros were having theirs, so that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Like that was when Hunter Kemper and Andy Potts and. Uh, all those guys were, were racing. Um, and yeah, that was, that was the main exposure that I think that we had there along with, uh, the high V race every year. They, they would do a good job at, um, kind of syncing us up a bit.
1: So if there's like a 16 year old that comes up to you and says, you know, I've been listening to you guys talk, like, what does it take? Like, what, what does it take?
0: Uh, I mean, I think it's, uh, just kind of, it's just setting goals. Like I've just looked at my entire career as kind of just as little steps. I mean, a lot of times, like I remember setting goals when I was back doing like swim team and stuff. And it was, there's always that pyramid with, you know, like the Olympics on top. And then you had like the different senior meets, like all leading up to it. And I mean, I think my triathlon career has kind of been like that and just hitting certain benchmarks each year. And um, for me, like making the Olympics was the biggest goal that I had so far, and that that didn't even become so much a reality except for maybe like a year, year and a half ago when it really started to be like I have a great shot at doing this. Um, and before then it was just, well, let's, let's make it as an elite and then let's try and be competitive at some of the elite races and get enough points to get into, uh, the world cups and the WTS races. And really it's just like a number of small steps to get to that big goal.
1: And so there had to have been times along the way, because you're human where you're like, is this really like, am, am I really capable of doing this someday to hit that top goal of the Olympics? And so how do you, how did you navigate those moments of, of doubt or worry or like, how did you continue to bring yourself back down to just right where you were to just hit whatever the next logical goal was?
0: Yeah. I mean, um, there's speed bumps in, in any goal that you want to get to. And, I think for me, like, looking really big picture, like, especially the past year, like, trying to qualify, like, each time you'd think, like, oh, man, I really want to make the Olympics, like, this is huge, like, you'd start to, like, build up, and it makes your stomach do flips, and all that sort of thing, but then it was just, like, being, bringing yourself back to to the present, and just, like, what, what can I do right now to make myself better, and to reach that next goal, sometimes it's just getting yourself out the door um, to go and do the workout, but... Uh, I mean triathlon is what I love to do and it's not saying that every day is super easy and that oh man I'm going to feel great every day I do that sometimes it's just you have to grind it out for a little while and you have to hit those rough spots but that's that's kind of what is all a part of the journey into a big goal there are going to be times when you have one of the worst races of your life and you just you you don't think like it could really get any worse. And I mean, sometimes it does, but there's always that period. Like I had before the games, there was the test event in Rio Mm -hmm. and I had such an embarrassing race. I was, I was basically dead last and I had really good training leading up to it. And uh, my dad has always said, like, you get like that, whatever, till the end of the day to kind of feel sorry for yourself, get that out of your system because you have to get back up on your feet. It's just like. I don't know, you could think of it like a boxing match. Like if you get hit and you're down on the, down on the ground, you kind of have like whatever, like seven or eight seconds to kind of get yourself together, but you have, you have to get back up and you have to keep fighting. So that's, that's kind of how I've approached it is you just have to keep getting back at it. Cause that's the, the failures are kind of what make you better and what you learn the most from rather than just continually getting success. So that Rio event was that sort of so you built up to the Rio event, you're, you're in shape,
2: you're, you're, you're there, you don't have a good result, does that fuel you? Is that like the fire that then you're like, reassess your goals? Now what's next? What do I need to do next to qualify? Yeah,
0: you know, well, it really put everything in perspective, cause that, there's a lot of pressure on me, I put a lot of pressure on myself to do well, like the Rio course suited me well, like open water, ocean swim, hard hilly bike, um, flat run, but there was going to be, we guessed there was going to be some sort of breakaway. And I just, I didn't swim fast enough for the, one of the first times, like last year, I started going backwards and swims, which is not usual for me. I just felt terrible on the bike and the run was basically a jog. Um, and to me, that was just really surprising. I didn't know, I didn't know what went wrong and it took me a while to figure it out. And I worked with a sports psychologist, after that to get myself kind of back on track and still continue to work with them because the mental game is just huge. And, um, I just, I just went back to work. Like I re I reassessed everything. And, um, there were a few other like qualifying races to get some points. And, um, I did all right in like the one or, and yeah, in the one right after Rio and then didn't go to the one after that, but it it led up to Chicago, the WTS Mm -hmm. race there. And I ended up, just having a great race and it it really just took me taking a step back and going you know I I'm either gonna I want to go after I want to just go hard and do all this but I didn't put any pressure on any place that I had to get to qualify for the games or um what whatever I had to there are no have tos they're always like this is what I'm going to do and this is how I'm going to race and I'm gonna make the most of the opportunity and have some fun with it and that that race there is really what set me up Really well to qualify for the games in Yokohama that following May,
2: and that was the Chicago
0: race last year. The yeah, grand that grand finale. Yeah, the grand final. And that was
2: when you just were like, it seemed like you threw everything out, and we're just like, I'm going, I'm yeah. going after this. That's what that's the impression we got from watching it. Like, yeah,
0: you know, I just I wanted to have a lot of fun with it. Like I was. I I, Like for whatever reason, I had a lot of these have-tos like, oh, you you have to sit in to run fast at this place or you have to do this. But I knew the cards that I had to play, like I knew the bike was a strength there and I knew I was running really, really well off the bike. Um, But for me mentally, like racing off the front, I was just, I was having fun with it. Like my, I had a bunch of friends and family there, a great support crew and um, yeah, I was just pretty relaxed and um, yeah, it was just, I was having fun with it. Like every so often I'd go off the front and it was I just saw the opportunity within that last lap and a half or two. And, um, it was, it was fun to be at the front of that race for a while. So,
1: and you have to wonder, like, would you have been able to, to go into that grand final with such an attitude of like, I'm just going to like, I'm just kind of throwing out all the have tos and I'm just going to go. If you didn't have that experience at the test race in, in Rio.
0: Yeah. You know, I think I, it, I think I did. I learned a lot. that rail race and to put a lot of things into perspective. And um, I don't know the kind of race that I would have had. I think it it was definitely a a humbling race. I like to think that um, it it taught me a lot going into it. And you could maybe go back and look and say I would have gotten a little bit too complacent. I wouldn't have started with a sports psychologist. I wouldn't have um, re-looked at my racing or my training and how I race and everything. I would have probably just been at a status quo. And that's, that's kind of what every, um, subpar race that I have has done for me is I I relook at everything and it makes me, it makes me take a look back and see what did I do wrong and what can I do better. And so that's, what's made me a better athlete.
1: Kind of brings in this, uh, degree of humility. Like you were like, you had to start to look outside like what can I do not only within myself but outside like what can I bring in to help me get to where I want to go because you didn't want to let go of that dream yeah um, so let's go to Yokohama we actually we actually just watched this again <laughs> yesterday and we're big <laughs> ITU fans we I mean this is how thank you very much this is how we yeah. get through all our trainer rides yeah yeah because it's we the do spent like
2: twenty dollars we spend Oh, yeah of ITU. I think we started watching it in 2012 mm-hmm. with the lead up to that Olympics. The coverage is amazing. And we just watch, I yeah. watch them over and over because <laughs> it's just great coverage. And
1: and, they're, know, always and, always yeah. and
2: they're always exciting. Always
1: exciting. They're always exciting. So
2: Yokohama race is a super exciting race. That's the one where you go out to the boats, right? The big ships. Yeah. kind of like you turn around. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But that was the race that was going to determine the Olympic team. Yeah. But in order to be automatically put on that team you would have had to get a podium spot
0: yeah so the yeah the qualifying process I could kind of give a spark notes if you guys like it's yeah I've gotten pretty good at that over the time but it it was kind of complicated we had a few races where you could automatically qualify and that for Yokohama it was top three for like the test event in Chicago it was top eight and if that didn't happen and there was nobody else who was showing promise for a domestique role they went to their objective points ranking which took five races and included test event chicago stockholm edmonton and then yokohama was the last one and so it basically all came down to that because all of our points were were fairly similar for the top guys and um there's a little bit of math involved with where i had to be versus like kevin and eric lagerstrom and um Essentially, I say it is as long as I finished in the top three Americans and Kevin and Eric really didn't beat me, that's that was my ticket to the games. And I was in the top 20. So uh, my goal going into it was to be top 15 to try and solidify that. And I figured that that place, too, based on the other guys, last results and recent results that I felt like that would um, give me a good shot at making the team. Not not for sure, but close enough.
1: Right, and you didn't even know really until after you finished that you had actually made the team.
0: Yeah, and you know I done the math. Well, my mom actually did the math. She's <laughs> she's real good at all that. She's a big she loves IT racing and is very involved. So I think cool. she knows I think she knows IT point system and stuff better than um, a lot of people who work at USAT and stuff. Well, her son's
1: out, out like, there, yeah. damn it. She's going <laughs> to do all the math. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. So she had done the math. So we, had, I knew exactly like kind of what the points were and we knew the quality of field. So I kind of knew where Eric and Kevin were and where Joe and mm-hmm. Eric, Greg were. So like when I crossed the line, I was 90% sure, 95% sure I had made the team. But I kind of held back a little bit because I, I know how governing bodies can be mm-hmm. every so often. There's always... There's always a chance that I missed something going through the qualification process or that they, it wasn't good. I w- I wanted it to be official first so I I went and talked to people from USAT and or waited and found out eventually like when it was on Twitter when it had like the qualified for Rio thing and I'm like okay that that looks pretty official. Yeah, if it's on, sure. it's on Twitter it's on Twitter it's definitely yeah. official yeah. For sure. yeah, so that was that was exciting.
1: So tell us about that race like Tell us about that, yeah. even before the gun went on. Like, did you just have Olympics on your mind or were you again just continuing to pull yourself down into right where you were in the present moment?
0: Yeah, well the Olympics were, were the main goal, but I just wanted, before the race, I decided all I wanted to do to be proud of my race was to go out and race as hard as I could and as smart as I could. And whether that got me on the team or didn't, whether I finished whatever fifth or 35th, I, was, I would have been proud with my effort and that that got me in pretty relaxed like I was I was happy I was excited and my training was really really good before that race Um, and on the day I just ended up feeling really really great like the swim for me went amazingly like it didn't it didn't feel like I was overextending myself or anything and then I also yeah I, I rode really smart and um, watching that race. I think a lot of people would have kind of been scratching their heads going like, what, what are you doing? Like, why are you just sitting in? Cause it's not usually how I race, but that I knew Yokohama rarely ever separates or has a large degree of separation, but I did know that it, it does a big yo-yo effect. So the people at the front are working a lot less hard than the people at the back. So I was always within that top 10 position and I was pretty confident in my run at that point too. And I just got off the bike and I, I felt like I ran a really smart race. And there was the the whole thing about the race was I felt like I was really smart and I didn't, I took risks, but I didn't take risks that would um, jeopardize making the team. So maybe I could have eked out one or two more places in the overall, but I was pretty nervous in that first 5k of going out too hard. And then Blowing everything in like the last little bit or having a group running with a group and being because I was I was counting like the entire time and One of my biggest fears was running that smart race and then in like the final 400 meters Just having like four people pass me or something like that and just (laughs) blow it all up so, um, yeah, I was was pretty conscious the entire race that of what I needed to do and um, Just kind of taking it one step at a time and checking off things on my checklist. You talked about being in the
2: moment. And so when you're on that run, as we watch them, you know, the, the pace that these people are running, that you guys are running is so fast. Do you try and hang on to people? Do you stick with your own strategy? And I know it probably depends on the race and where you are, but I mean, there's times where we see, um, the Brownleys just go off, but, and then maybe somebody will try and hang and try and hang and they, have that yo-yo effect of like back and forth, back and forth. But how do you get into that mindset of like, these guys run so fast. Do you ever try and like, I'm going to hang on to them or the people in front of you and as long as I can.
0: Yeah. And you know, I I know the guys well enough to to kind of know who I should be around when I'm running. And a lot of it is, is just learning how to pace. And I've had to, I've had to work at this quite a bit because I've gone out too slow before I've gone out too fast. So the key is to go out just fast enough so that you could stay in contact because everybody does like kill it out of there. And mm-hmm. anybody who tries to hang with the Brownlee's like more often than not ends up fading quite a bit. So um, that the biggest thing for me is I, I was able to get out of that T2 near the front and be one of those front people and then fall into like a, a quick pace, but one that felt comfortable. And then as the groups came by or as people came by, I was able to either go with them if they were only like slightly faster, or I was able to like kind of feel it out a mm-hmm. little bit more And that whole first 5k was just me trying to stay within like that, like 10 to 20 place range and run comfortably so that the last 5k I could kind of try and pick it up and make sure that I, I wasn't fading toward the end or anything like that. So, and coming off the bike first, you don't have to run um, you know, like a sub 30 minute 10 K if you have, if you're at the front and then whatever, one of the fastest runners is at the back, that, that could be almost 30 seconds with the pack is completely stretched out. So it's just, it's taking advantage of some of that free time too.
1: But it's also really knowing your pace. Like you got to really be able to feel because what you're telling me is that it's a matter of seconds between you going out too hard and you going out at the pace that you should. So what do you do in your training to, to feel the pace to like own those paces so that, you know, so do you train with, um, you know, do you use the data? Are there some things, um, some training sessions that you do with no data at all to just feel it or have your watch in your pocket and look at it after?
0: Yeah, it's a lot. And I mean, a lot of it, cause you don't have your watch when you're out there. Yeah, In the race, yeah, else. yeah. The yeah, really first thing so you see at
1: Ironman is they go across yeah. and they hit their watch,
0: right? Yeah, and at
1: Itu, you. Nobody's, I mean, you guys right. aren't even if you have well, a hat on, you're lucky,
0: yeah. And I mean, I think that's how a lot of uh elite racing kind of is you're, you're racing against the people around you. Like, I don't think we necessarily care if we're running a 28 minute 10k or a 36 minute 10k, it's if you're winning, like, that's that's the whole goal about it, so. Um, and I mean, each course is different, so mm-hmm. whatever, a, a 30 minute 10 K is completely different depending on what course, but, um, yeah, I mean, in my training, I'm, I'm monitoring my pace a whole lot, but it's just, it's doing those paces again and again and again. And, um, knowing like doing runs off the bike or running on the track to nail in the pace and doing tempo runs and all of that to know your abilities. And you just get to know too, um, how your body feels at those certain points. You, you learn like what by your breathing and by your stride rate and all of that and it's it's kind of that repetition and really learning about it and um, coming from more of a a swim and I mean I've been doing triathlon a long time but I maybe didn't come up as a more of a a running background like it's taken me a little bit more to kind of get my form right and understand a lot of that pacing too and just have confidence in going out at a certain pace and holding on to it.
1: I think experience has so much to do with our ability to be confident, to be relaxed at the starting line. And, you know, a lot of first timers that, you know, if we're coaching that we work with, there's so much doubt that comes in, but just trusting that if you just stay with it, you mm-hmm. know, and get that experience under your belt, it's, it's sometimes the greatest coach you can have is what's happened in the past.
2: I want to switch gears just a little bit to the, uh, the relay, the mixed relay, because
0: yeah. That's what I find is super exciting. I don't know what the athletes think about it. Oh, I love the relay is my it's favorite. It's super event. fun. Like I've it done, looks yeah. Super I've fun. raced that the world champs. Like I think it's been like five years now. Like okay. Way back when they first headed at High yeah. V, we we had a little junior team that was there, and then like I also did uh, the major league triathlon this year where they have they have a bunch that's that whole that's a whole series of relays there's one in maine i I love it like i love the super sprint stuff i love double super sprints so the relay is like right up my alley
2: so eventually i want to see i want to see this get more popularity because i haven't done one but i just see how exciting it is because it brings Mm -hmm. in that team element um but what's it like in germany to jump off that uh, you're like flying down that ramp and you yeah. just launch yourself off. Like,
0: is that, oh, are you yeah. just like
2: go red line from the start?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that race was amazing. Cause the day before I did not have a great race. Like I had a flat tire and then the run was kind of blah. So I kind of came out wanting to, to redeem myself a little bit. And yeah, I mean, it, the whole, that first third of the race was a little weird for me. Like it, it was like, I, I think I was, I don't know if I was too amped up or maybe a little nervous or something, but like I almost ran past like the swim in, like yeah. I was going, I like looked and the way the cones were set up or something, I thought I had to go around like, whatever this little blow up airplane thing was. And yeah, I, I ended up having to cut in. And then like, I I thought I had blown the race because um, Aurelian Raphael caught yeah. me in the swim, which I wasn't really expecting. And, um, but then I, I ended up like, Oh, and then I, I think I had a problem buckling my helmet too. So oh, like yeah. the whole, yeah. the whole first third of the like, race. You no, like, no, no, this, yeah, like, this is yesterday. Yeah. I was just kind of like, okay. But then I finally was able to calm myself down on the bike and I could tell from pretty early on that I was feeling good and that, um, Aurelian was just not, not as strong on the day. So then I just, then I just had fun with it and it was just, it was a good time. And it's so I was short. Riding well. Yeah. It's so it's you... full on the whole time. So I, that's. And that's what makes it exciting and like anything can happen and you have to have um, like not only four strong athletes, but they all have to do well on the day to to win a world championship. And we've been trying to do that for the past Mm -hmm. few years now and we've come close A couple of times or we've, we've been, we've been right there, but we haven't been able to have like that great day yet. And And we just all happened to have that great day. Yeah. It was awesome.
2: It's so cool. That, that to me is one of the most exciting things I love seeing. And I, and I, um,
0: I want to see that come out a little bit more in popularity, like, and yeah. And in Hamburg, they love that race too. Like the course is a little bit more condensed, so you get much more crowd density too around it. And it's, yeah, people are right up in your face. And <laughs> yeah. It's like racing in Germany. Hamburg is probably one of the coolest races because of the crowd. Like it's just, yeah. Do you feel insanity. them right along the water? Like when you're swimming or you're yeah, just, yeah, so you can see it like so the whole close. way. Yeah. You can see them the entire way there. And even on the run, they're hanging over the barriers and stuff and on the bike. So it's, yeah, it's <laughs> just a that. great atmosphere. That's
1: cool. Well we're hoping that we see it in the Olympics someday. Oh, me too. Like, yeah, that wouldn't would that be amazing? Be After we leave you, we're going to Barry Sif's and we're nice. gonna yeah, yeah, we're gonna see what he thinks What the is of that. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, they were
0: out in Hamburg, the IOC was <laughs> they were. um yeah, looking at the race and seeing if it was <gasps> Olympic really? worthy. So we haven't to, heard anything. Oh it'd be back, so great. Cool. I haven't
2: at least. You're already at the Olympics. So it's not like more. The course is set up, are, are, and the athletes yeah. are already there. The teams are there, so yeah, you yeah. could kind of pull it together as as far as logistics. But yeah, those races—I can't remember where else they had the relay. I think that's the uh,
0: They've had it like all the races. The World Champs has been. They had it in like um, luzon Switzerland, High V, okay. um, Hamburg has had it for a good majority. Years, right? Yeah, a good majority of the time, and then. Uh, Every year at the World Champs, like the grand final, they have a U23 junior relay that they add in. All
2: right. Yeah, I think it's just the launching yourself off the dock that is... Yeah, yeah well, that's uh, the most Yeah,
0: this year was all right for me. The year before I, I got a little bit too much air and like started to do part of a flip. So kind of like, yeah, <laughs> that's There's, our favorite that's a good, part. a good video or picture of me <laughs> we'll totally check. messing up the dive.
1: Oh, cool. Maybe we can find that clip yeah, and we'll put okay. it in the show notes. All right. So I do want to get to the Olympics, but I want to go back to when the whole dream began. So yeah. I know you've been on the Olympic team. You are on Team USA. You are a top notch triathlete right now in the world. But let's go back to the team that really matters, the Multisport Madness Triathlon team yeah. that you were on at a very young age. Um, at the age of seven, you started swimming. Yep. At the age of eight, you did your first triathlon. So mm-hmm. when did you join the Multisport Madness team?
0: Uh, I think it was it was a year or two after that first triathlon. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I want to say about two years because I think I remember one of the times that the kids try rolling, like the bikes all rolling in from the kids' scenes. Because I got there early because my parents helped uh, run the race. And yeah, they rolled in with like a pickup truck or two of all the cool little road bikes that they mm-hmm. had. And I, like, I just, yeah I, I knew, like, I, I love triathlon and I, I wanted to do it. My dad was doing it. Like, I, I think I, one of my earliest memories, I think, is watching him on Lower Wacker Drive at the Mrs. T's Triathlon nice. in Chicago. So um, yeah, but that team was... Incredible it was uh, Keith Dixon started it, and he had uh, a vision of a high performance kids team that he and he he drew a lot from his experience uh, swimming at Florida um, and i I keep looking back to that team and looking at a lot of the junior teams are here and um, it's really incredible what he did. We were like the first team that was high performance, doing like real workouts and really treating triathlon like it was, it was an Olympic sport and it was a very new one at the time. And um, that, was, that was his dream is to get somebody on the Olympic team. At
1: some point and And like all you guys mattered. That's what it seems like I'm reading. Yeah. I'm kind of feeling underneath your words like that you just, that you guys, it wasn't just like a kid's triathlon team, yeah. something to do on Saturdays. Like you guys mattered.
0: Yeah. And, and I mean. He was going
1: to help you continue yeah. to make a name.
0: Yeah. I mean, he just created the opportunity for us to um, really excel at triathlon. I mean, we did, we, we were pretty well balanced too with everybody. Like there are people doing baseball and soccer and, uh, swimming, like swimming on a club team was always big. And, um, as we got older, we kind of dropped some of the other stuff as we saw that triathlon was kind of what we wanted to do. And, um, I mean, we, yeah, we, we loved it. We had such a fun time. We worked really, really hard, but I grew really close to a lot of those people and still am. Um, and yeah, I mean, we traveled all over the country for that. And it wasn't just Keith who was um, like the big visionary and running the team, but it was all the parents and um, the coaches and everybody who played just such a big role, like driving our bikes out to the different national championships in a U-Haul that we like jerry-rigged bike, r- bike racks in the side with all our luggage and stuff to, you know, like uh, Washington, Connecticut, Colorado um, just all over the place. And it was, yeah, it really set us up and showed us what some of the expectations were for working hard. And we just, for whatever reason, we have a great pocket of triathletes in that Chicago land area and that we all, and we were all way into it and just pushing each other every day. And that's, that's what created like such a good team there.
1: So was it at that point that you started looking at the Olympics? When did that dream come in?
0: Yeah. I mean. Uh, Keith would always talk about like the Olympics. Like I remember some workouts him just like talking about that, like this is where dreams are made and stuff. So that's kind of the first time that the, the Olympic dream was kind of planted in our heads. Cause, um, I mean, like I said, it was only just made like a sport, uh, an Olympic sport in 2000 and we maybe would join that team in like 2003, 2004, 2005, like somewhere in there. Um, And yeah, I mean, that that got us thinking about it, but we were all, I mean, each race that we did just felt like the biggest race of our lives. Like I remember nationals every year, like, oh my God, if we don't do well at nationals, it's the end of the world. But like each year there was another nationals and we would just get so excited for that. And then it was junior worlds that we were going to. So it was, again, it was like those baby steps and the Olympics were always kind of in the back of our minds, but I don't think it really became a reality for me until, yeah, like two years ago when I sat down um, kind of in the middle of my college career and when, like, look, I can graduate early and that gives me two full years to to focus on triathlon and try and give the Olympics a go. And um, that that would give me my best shot. And then over those two years, it just kind of got closer and closer and closer and more attainable.
1: So were any of those kids that were on the team with you, um, or any of, are you racing with any of them now?
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, Lucas Verzbikis was on the team Mm -hmm. and, um, he's still, he's still racing a fair bit and Kevin McDowell Mm -hmm. is racing still very consistently and well. Um, but I mean, I think, I think we're kind of the last, some of the last few who have been on that team and kind of stuck around. There were quite a few who who did it through college and had uh, some pretty solid like professional careers and stuff. But um, as of right now, I think we're kind of that, that first guard that stuck around with it. But I'm pretty sure there'll be some more in the future too. They still have a pretty solid team there.
1: So Keith sounds like somebody that you really appreciate and have a lot of gratitude for because it sounds like his dedication was just unstoppable. And when he found out that you were going to the Olympics, what was that reception like?
0: Yeah. And I mean, yeah, no, I, I love Keith and I love everything that he's done for me. Um, and yeah, he got me all the way through, uh, about halfway through my high school career when I decided to go with another coach and Mm -hmm. have a different approach. But, um, no, I mean, he was really excited. He's been excited. He's been following, especially me and Kevin's career, our entire career so far. And, um, yeah, I think, yeah, he's, he's super excited about it and still loves the sport. And is st- I think he's still doing stuff, still swimming and all so that cool. sort of stuff. So yeah, no, he's, he's been great. Who, who is your coach now? Can you tell, or is it? Yeah. So, um, my coach for the Olympics was Ryan Bolton. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah. And before that it was Adam Zuko. So there was kind of a, a small little transition in there, um, leading up to, uh, about a year or two from the games. Um, and now I've just made a transition to Jim Vance and yeah, it's, it's the beginning of a new Olympic cycle. I'm young, I'm looking for just different coaching philosophies and it's great because every coach that I've had too is, um, is just a great person overall and they understand like my, my need to kind of shift coaching. Um, and I can still, I know I can still go back to them and talk to them about everything. Like Adam is like family to me and Mm -hmm. I know Ryan would probably say the same thing about me too. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of excited for this next chapter. There's, there's a lot of fun things to do in 2017 and more goals to set and yeah, long term should be fun too. So you're revealing a little bit. So you will be, you know,
2: working towards 2020
0: Olympics possibly. Or yeah. You know, I think the the year. Olympic games for me is a, is an awesome experience. I feel like I went and I was really happy with my race. I felt like I left it all out there, but I still felt like there's a little bit of unfinished business mm-hmm. there. And, um, I would like to go and try for another cycle, but I think there's still a lot of things that I'd like to try in the next couple of years before I have to really buckle down and, commit commit to Mm -hmm. yeah commit to that olympic cycle and a lot can change in four years so uh, i definitely want to try and there's a lot of olympic non-drafting races there's like alcatraz and beijing that are awesome and i love to do um there's i'd like to try some 70.3s i think that that distance is probably going to suit me very well Um, and then, yeah, just kind of like picking and choosing the IT races next year that I really want to do. I don't have to worry about necessarily chasing points or doing anything like that. I can kind of experiment a little, work on some weaknesses, play, like go to some races that play to my strengths. And yeah, just uh, these next couple of years are going to be more doing kind of exactly what I want to do instead of having to just grind out a bunch of races to get the points and Mm -hmm. really just like... Yeah, because that the Olympic cycle is pretty draining, and it it can get. I I don't want to burn out of ITU or burn out right. of racing at all. So these next couple of years are usually kind of when the ITU athletes explore a little bit, do all sorts of stuff from like Xterra to seventy point threes. Yeah.
2: Why? So as we watch the seventy point three specifically, the ITU athletes that come up are always fast. Yeah, <laughs> they're always fast, and for some. For some reason, the people who have been there for so long and, and not so long, but have been working hard at the 70.3 distance, these ITU guys come up and it's bang. They like, yeah. like well, Tim Don and all these guys just yeah, go yeah. right to the top. Well, is it when the speed
0: work or? Yeah. Well, I think the speed, it carries over fairly well to 70.3. And when you look at the distances, it's not that much different. The training's not incredibly different from Olympic distance to 70.3. The swim is practically similar. It's There's maybe like a 500 meter difference. Um, the bike just requires a little bit more time in the TT position and maybe working on instead of a lot of spikes and powers, just flatlining it. Mm-hmm. But the, the ITU athletes are incredible cyclists, at least like the, the top cyclists in ITU are, are really, really, really good and strong riders, like looking at the Brownleys and Gomez and just, just a lot of those guys there, they, they they're really working the bike hard. And of course the run, like they, everybody probably runs a decent enough mileage to do a a half marathon. And that 10k speed kind of carries over pretty well, as you can see from some of those guys like Gomez or Jan Frodeno and just kind of, yeah, they, I mean, five thirties and stuff. It feels slow when you're running. 440s or something for a 10K. So you're backing it off almost a minute per mile. So, um, yeah, that I think the biggest thing is probably the nutrition for, cause it's still, it's, it's still a fairly long race, but it's definitely the Olympic to 70.3 is definitely a smaller jump than 70.3 to Ironman. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, there's, it's definitely yeah. closer. Ironman is, is so much more than double a 7.3. It's so much more. Yeah, and especially yeah. at the level that um, you will race at it someday. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I saw a tweet from yeah. you that you were in Kona.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you were like, no, oh, I... <laughs> maybe I'll be
1: on the course someday. Yeah.
0: Even before I was watching like the Olympic distance ITU stuff, I was watching the Ironman. Like that was, oh, yeah. That was it. Like that, that. Yeah. Too. That was the goal. Like watching it on TV and stuff. And yeah, to be at the race and everything. Like, kind of puts it into perspective. I think the first year I went, I was kind of like, wow, this is really hot. I don't think I'm, I'm pretty glad I'm not racing, (laughs) but yeah, no, this year, like I was kind of looking at it and going like, all right, yeah, this is, this could be something in the future for sure. And I think I've always kind of had Ironman in the back of my mind, but I, I feel pretty strongly about getting my speed first and kind of maxing out that before moving on. and. I'm only like 23, 24 in December, so I still have, you have got some time. You've so
1: much time. I mean, if you see these guys in their late 30s still killing it in Kona. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And as, as fans of like ITU and Ironman and things like that, like we're always, we're always rushing it. We're like, when's Gomez going to go to Kona? Like we're always like, we can't wait for you guys to come up and start racing long course. But I love the progression and the progression is so smart. And I think what we're seeing from this progression of you guys coming from ITU, going to 70.3, killing it there, and then taking it to Ironman is like the times just continue to get faster. Mm And even in the the time that you've been racing ITU, have you seen that? Just- oh,
0: yeah, of course. I mean, if you look back at um, kind of those, those first couple Olympic cycles, like 31 minutes for a 10K has you consistently on the podium or winning races and stuff. And now it takes 29 minutes, 2930. So um, just everything overall is just very hard. You watched you can kind of see like if you go back and watch a lot of the it races you can see the different cycles that it goes through like um there's a time when people would swim like pretty fast or just kind of moderate but everybody would be together and then it's a big pack and it didn't really look like many people were pushing very hard even though they had the ability to and then it was just a run and that's that's where people got the idea that oh it's just like a, it's just a wet oh yeah a wet 10k but Mm -hmm. i mean nowadays like I mean my my power numbers from the Olympics were were kind of crazy like the first 10 minutes I was at just under 400 watts and like for the entire race my normalized power was like 350 or something like that so these guys are not only and Varga I think like swimming he he could probably make the Olympic team for sure for for, yeah for swimming and probably be fairly competitive in the 1500 or open water and um, and of course the running, everybody sees how fast the running is, but like, it's, it's full on the entire time. Like it, I mean, just to catch my breath from out of the water, it took me halfway through the bike in the Olympics. So, um, I, I think the quality of athlete and, and that's not taking anything away from some of those, those first guys like Simon Whitfield and all of those, they were incredible athletes too. And a lot of them helped change the sport and make it to what it is now. But I think that the depth and just the bar is raised every year with people like Gomez coming in and the Brownleys, and everybody's trying to beat them. So they're looking at their training and they're looking at their racing. like, all right, well, what do I have to do? What do I have to do Mm -hmm. to, to beat these guys? So it just raises everybody's game when you have some superstars like that.
1: Yeah. And you guys are all just doing the same thing as like Hunter Kemper and, and Whitfield and all those guys were doing, you're just racing the race that's out there in front of you.
0: Yeah, exactly. Right, So
1: that was the fast and now there's a whole new fast yeah. and it's probably going to get even faster, <laughs> which is just so fun to watch. So should we go to Rio? Yeah, let's let's go to Rio. So, yeah. um, I read your blog post about the race recap and I just love the way you started it with your dad saying like, don't believe the hype. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, it's no, so been
0: a consistent saying for the past couple of years. So.
1: And what does that mean?
0: Oh, uh, I mean, it's just, it's just like a reminder, like to, to keep working hard and to not, not, don't get caught up in any of the excitement or anything like that. Cause I mean, if you start doing that and thinking like, Oh, I'm so great. Cause I, I qualified or I'm so great. Cause I won this race or placed at this, like you're just, you're going to get complacent. It's like, you, you want to keep resetting those goals and you don't want to let that all get caught up and You want to be able to keep working hard and not forget, like it took a lot of hard work to get here. So don't, don't step away from that. You have to work harder. Otherwise, like there's gonna be 10 people who jump in front of you.
1: Yeah. And like a dose of humility. I think a lot of people could use a little dose of humility. I think it keeps it real. But tell us about that morning when the alarm went off.
0: Um, oh, man, I think we raced at like eleven, so it really oh. there wasn't too much. When you sl- <laughs> yeah, tell us well, about that Olympic well, morning when
1: you slept in, yeah,
0: no, well, I didn't sleep in too much because, well, I'm trying to think because like eleven is fairly early for us for the most part. That's like right. we you guys we race a lot of in the times. Afternoon. Yeah, I did so many races this year at like five p.m. or Cousin four p.m. Was late. It was yeah, really late the, I'm show, thinking it's yeah. in the morning
1: because I'm always watching it on the trainer yeah. <laughs> early in the morning. <laughs> so
0: I mean, yeah, I was up. Um, I, don't, I, th- I think I hit an alarm. Uh, I actually can't remember, but it, it, like, everything just kind of moved, and that was, that was my big goal. Like, it was going to uh, going to breakfast and getting my stuff and then walking down and doing all the stuff I needed to do and transition and getting in my warm-ups and all of that. And like, kind of before I knew it, which was kind of like how the week felt, I was on the start line, and there wasn't much time to like, stop and think about what could happen or what should happen or anything like that. It was just like on the start line and going.
1: Um, And that walk down to the beach was really cool, like the mm -hmm. whole carpet down, and it's just lined with people, and were there people there that you... That you knew, or what was, what were those yeah. like? What's going through your head, the head of an Olympian, as you're walking down that blue carpet to get to the beach? Yeah, I
0: think I just kind of wanted to get the race started because like, it's <laughs> been like ever since I qualified in Yokohama. It's just like, all right, well, waiting let's, game. Let's go, yeah. Mm. And um, but yeah, no, it is pretty incredible. The crowds there are great, and I had my family there. I had uh, college friends there, and um, people from, you know, uh, the other families that were there too. So there was a good U.S. crowd out there and it was just really cool. It was kind of, I mean, to me, it kind of felt like I treated it like any other race and it kind of felt that way in a way with, um, maybe just like a little bit higher stakes and stuff in a little bit smaller field. It's probably really but, smart. Yeah. But I just wanted to treat it like any other race and not get myself too wound mm-hmm. up for it being the Olympics. Cause Like I did like one year ago is like too much being wound up and just came out flat. So I just wanted to, to stay in the moment and keep checking off those things, like making the front pack and then just being a factor on the bike and just continuing on from there.
1: All right. So take us through the swim.
0: Yeah. It was so fast. I was like right in the middle, um, (laughs) And I mean, Vargo is off on the right, and Saint Louis is on the left. And if you see kind of like the replay, I'm I'm at middle prong. Yeah, that's yep. not necessarily up front. It's kind of like sandwiched in between the two people. And um, I ended up having like a pretty solid swim. I knew getting out would be really fast, but that my my strength is probably closing in the last 750 meters. And I was able to follow. Uh, I think it was Aaron Royal up through. The, the group a little bit because when I came into that first buoy I think I was probably around like 20th spot or 25th um kind of like middle middle to the front of the pack um and from there I kind of like worked my way up and found myself next to a couple French athletes it was like conics and Vincent Louis mm-hmm. and then I kind of knew I was like all right like I could work really hard to move up right I, I kind of like stayed and there was a little bit of me like trying to move up but there wasn't any progress being made so I just kind of hung out and I knew Vincent Louis like he's a really strong cyclist and a really strong swimmer so I'm like this is this is fine right here this will be good um and yeah coming out of the water it was I was able to, like, kind of make up a few spaces. I knew that the tr- first transition would be key, and I treated it that way and got out, got my shoes on really fast. And from there, it was just like a hammer fest. Like, I I think I was one of the last people to make it up the hill and into that front group. Um, and, I, yeah, I think I came around the two Russian brothers, the Polianskis, and from there, like, I could kind of see the front, and I knew, okay, well, we're going on the downhill. Recover just a little bit and be ready to hammer again. There's a few of those sections where you want to hold the wheel. And, um, yeah, I was able to do that. And I mean, there were some, there were some strong guys behind me too. Like just missed the pack. And And you want to be
2: in that front pack. because that, that gap? I mean, it's a constant battle to get
0: back up there unless there's somebody working back there like Murray. Yeah. Or, uh, well, what I mean, I knew with uh, the firepower that would be in the front pack, like Brownlee's, Vincent yeah. Louis, like I knew that they would be driving it like really hard and they did. And we were able to actually like put in like a little bit of time to the group behind us, which is exactly what I wanted. And I thought that that would give me the best opportunity to perform and to get the highest place possible in the Olympics. Back to the swim. Was there any mayhem around the, the buoys? You know how
2: people talk about that all the
0: time. Yeah, but- you know. I think I got around pretty clean for the most part. I think I prepared for it, but the first blue is like 500 meters out. So that that's like double the distance it usually is for us. Okay. Um, yeah. With it being a one lap swim, usually it's like 250, 300 meters out, but with it being 500, it lets everything sort itself out a little bit before then. um, but yeah, I think everything was was fairly it was okay. tame. Yeah, it's fairly tame, especially with only being fifty five as opposed to like sixty five or seventy five. There's a little bit. There's a few more gaps to to hop into.
2: All right, so you're on the bike. Yeah, you're in the you're in the lead pack. You you guys are you know hitting that hill what seven or eight times wasn't there uh, eight times yeah eight times. Um, was that taking a toll on you? Because if you're you're going at it, or did you feel like you were? it was just part of it like you just yeah, buckle it's down and get up the hill it was part of it
0: like we we all knew that the hill would be there everybody trained for that hill okay. um and yeah we drilled it every time but i felt fairly good on it um and i was rotating for those first four laps like helping out a little bit and i think the last four laps i dropped back but that was almost harder cuz coming around the corner is like nobody was letting up we were sprinting full on out of it and that like the rubber band effect like i was having to close kind of fairly big gaps like just being on the back which Um, most people would say, yeah, just sit in, but I I don't know if sitting in was even much better than being on the front because you don't have that consistent wheel. Um, but yeah, like I said, it took me like four laps to kind of like calm myself down and get my heart rate down and start like saying, okay, well, probably start doing something to get myself ready for the run. But I mean, that bike, I think the swim and the bike combined just like took quite a bit out of me, which, um, no, didn't necessarily surprise me mm-hmm. so much because I knew it was going to be hard, but I thought that I was in, like, I and I was in really good swim bike shape, so to have those guys all riding and having me, like, suffering, not that they weren't, but that that was a little, not jarring, but it was um, maybe a little bit concerning to me to know that I had to go run a 10K off of that, but yeah, coming off the bike, I was, I was, yeah, I was pretty smashed, but the first... And I'd say the first couple laps of the run were all right. I was still in that 10th to kind of 15th spot. But after that, it was just a death march. I was just <laughs> like, I just got to make it to the finish. Like I did everything I could so far. I'm completely gassed. I just have to keep trying to hang on to different people and just make it to that finish point. So. And when you say you're gassed, like you're still running
2: fast. The, the dif- difference yeah, between yeah. you and the, I mean. I guess
0: relatively. But yeah, relatively. It, it felt like a jog. <laughs> yeah. Those last couple laps were really, really pretty, pretty rough. Um but yeah, I mean it was it was more like a slow fade. Like I had a decent first lap. I was running with um Fabian, an Italian mm-hmm. athlete. And I, I mean I just kind of slowly faded over that second lap. But I I mean I could kind of tell a little bit too. I was tying up. I wasn't able to get like my full stride and I think it was just the the body was just kind of fried after that swim and bike. And um I mean it was it was kinda eye opening for me. It was good because it gave me that benchmark. It was like The first time I went to race in Europe and seeing how hard those guys raced the entire race, like I I went back and was able to like kind of create a plan to make myself more competitive and to grow. And that's what I feel like I got at this Olympic experience is, all right, well, I checked off like the swim in the bike box. Like I know I can compete at those levels. Now I just have to figure out how to be able to check off those boxes and be fresh enough and fast enough on the run to be competitive. So how do you do that? That's a good question. So I'll, uh, I'll let you know if I found the answer in four years. Please do. So, yeah. I
2: think so, a lot of people yeah. have that, have, you've got the first two locked down yeah. and, um, you've just got that final piece.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it's just going to take like some, some concentrated effort on doing it. And I've, I've been able to do that for the past couple of years and I've seen improvements and now it's just continually like. coming up with a plan with me and my coach and working on that plan and then seeing if it works at you know the first few Mm -hmm. races and then readdressing and it it might take a couple years to figure out the exact plan that I need but I know that like each each year I'm going to be focusing on the run and that's what I'm really going to be working at.
2: And it's a, it's such a challenging, um, piece to go after because you can't, you, you want to maintain your swimming and bike. Yeah. You don't want to totally let those go and then, you know, run your fast race. So it's a constant balance. So I think that's what you'll learn probably in those first few races. Like, where can you find that line? Yeah. And that's what we like to, um, when we work with our athletes, getting them, it's kind of different because most of them it's the swim and and the bike. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they get to the run and it's okay. It's that swim element, and that's your strength. Or swim and bike is your strength. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we're eager to see what happens uh, yeah, next too. year.
0: So, so finish up the run. So you come across the line at the Olympics, and yeah, you know it was it. like, um, yeah, it was great. Like I, I felt proud of everything that happened. I was like pretty dazed a little bit too, like after the, the effort. And um, I mean, my main goal was to leave everything out on the course, and I really felt like I did that. And Um, it maybe it wasn't the exact result that I wanted, but, um, I, I felt like I checked off all the boxes and like, I was miles ahead of where I was at the test event the year before. And we were racing much faster than that too, on that same exact course. Um, I think we came off the bike like more than a few minutes ahead of where we were last year. Um, so yeah, I mean, I was, I was pretty happy with it. I of course would have liked to have been higher, but Um, there's only so much you can do on the day Mm -hmm. and sometimes, uh, stuff like that happens. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of why I feel like I have a little bit of unfinished business. I'd like to just tie everything together a little bit better.
1: Yeah. And you still, you have so much ahead of you. You've got so So, much ahead of you. I hope so. You've got so much to play with. Yeah. Just keep going. What was the biggest, what was your biggest takeaway from the Olympics?
0: I just think that it was just like the, the level of that everybody got themselves to, like I, Mm -hmm. I've been racing those guys for three or four years now. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a real fine line of pushing yourself so hard and staying injury free at the same time. We kind of walk a fine line Mm -hmm. of doing too much and, um, between that line of injury and not, and that's it's kind of the gamble that you play with because that's that's the level that everybody's at. And to get the best out of yourself, sometimes you have to do that. But um, yeah, I mean, I think I just learned a lot about myself too, like some of the training things that worked and didn't work. It was kind of like a lot of little things that I took away. Um, and then, of course, just the experience of being there was incredible.
1: We just interviewed uh, Neil Henderson, who I know you know, mm-hmm. he's Florida Duffy's coach and during the interview, he was talking about how, um, he was talking about the Olympics and, you know, how a lot of people are always like, you know, who got the gold and, but he was just saying that the level, like we cannot even comprehend the level that it takes to even get there.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of how I approached the Olympics too, is like, I, what I wanted to do is try and make myself as relevant as possible in the race. Mm-hmm. And I knew that would take like a huge effort. And, um, it is interesting. Nobody remembers fourth through whatever, 60th, 55th. But yeah, that's not to say that those fourth through 55th people were not absolutely flying or were not like doing (laughs) such a great race. So, um, but it's just that those top three people were just the best on the day. And that's, that's kind of what's great about the Olympics too, is you have 55 of like the best athletes in the world and you have to be the best on the day to get that gold medal, which is something that, in triathlon we don't always have anymore like with the grand final and with the series mm-hmm. like it's a great series and everything but at the same time there's not that one world champs that everybody's trying to target at the same time because with the grand final you have like kind of the points the come points, into play right. and you might go a little bit more conservative so the the olympics is kind of unique in that respect now well, two more things i want to i want to ask you about one is
2: um what's your favorite workout
0: oh, that's that's kind of a hard <laughs> at one. this point uh yeah it kind of cycles and I mean, I guess at this point in the year, I love doing group rides. Like the okay. group rides in Tucson especially are pretty great. And we have the the shootout that happens on Saturday. Um, so it's a huge group ride. It rolls out from it kind of starts at campus and it'll pick up people all the way out, like down mission, um Anyone to where can we go. start. Yeah, anybody can show up and but it's it's kinda like uh, the weekend world championships a little bit. I mean That's you have so cool. Yeah, you have some you have some incredible local riders around here and then you get uh professionals out there too like uci pros um u23 development teams for cycling the garmin team has come out here the the u23 one and you get people like uh ben hoffman sebastian keenley like they'll come out on those rides too and tj toloxson when he was here uh and it's just kind of like a hammer fest it's like a it's a big group ride you could get a hundred people out there doing that. And, you know, it always splits up. There's, right. there's tactics, there's like people playing with each other and it's, yeah, it's just a lot of fun. I like the group rides cause it's kind of, it's good for me too. Cause you don't, you don't always get to have like that, that kind of race, that high speed race experience all the time. It's really hard to replicate a lot. Um, and we're pretty lucky to have it in Tucson. And I mean, there's a Tuesday shootout too, that goes up and over Gates pass and out through the McCain loop and stuff. And, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit shorter, but super high intensity and they're, they're just really cool tools to have. Cause I mean, usually when people think of group rides, it might be like 20 people or rotating mm-hmm. through a bit, but this is like a you real race. Like you can, mm. you can practice moving through a group. You can practice attacking a group. You can practice all sorts of tactics that you wouldn't get to practice unless you actually signed up for a cycling race. And do you do this during training or is this just strictly off season? No, yeah, I'll do this during training. Okay. I mean, um, it's a little bit of a risk. There's there's stuff that can happen on right. a group ride, but there's also stuff that can happen when you go out solo too. So sometimes I mean I might be doing something more specific, but I've utilized that shootout ride quite a bit, especially in the winter when it's when everybody's out here training.
2: Yeah, sort of their off season sort of yeah. everybody congregates. Kind of what does an Olympian's diet nutrition (laughs) look
0: like? Uh, Well, (laughs) not right now. Not right now. Um, Not right right now. now. Yeah. Uh, Well, I kind of like to take a balanced approach. Like I I think you can kind of periodize nutrition too, where in your base period, you're kind of more in that lower aerobic uh, section where Mm -hmm. you don't need as many uh, carbohydrates as you might need before. But I've, I've always, and I've tried a lot of things throughout the years too. I've tried, like, not as many carbs. I've tried um, a lot of carbs. I, like, I've tried eating just kind of whatever I feel like, and um, I've just found that that balance is kind of key. Like, having each meal pretty balanced. Like, usually, like eggs and whatever. I like sweet potato for breakfast, and then or maybe some type of oatmeal um, depending on the workout. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, I've learned like when I've taken out carbs or not had as many that the, the high intensity stuff starts to fall and I'll end up bonking quite a bit. Um, and then lunch, like, I don't know, I like sandwiches, like some good whole grains. Um, everything is kind of based around about whatever, like you can get 25 grams of protein in. So like a, a few eggs or, um, you know, like a four ounce piece of steak or a four ounce piece of chicken or whatever. And then to fill out like vegetables, lots of vegetables and whatever else, like, you know, some quinoa or some rice or, um, maybe some of the whole grain bread that I have. So it's just kind of like a nice mix. And mm-hmm. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I've had to kind of learn how, like what works for me. Like when I was going into the Olympics, I was, I was tracking my calories quite a bit. Um, And I was trying to, to see, like, I I got pretty lean before the games too. And, um, I know that that, like the, doing that is not sustainable for like a really long period of time. So you just kind of have to, the scale can be your enemy a little bit, but you just have to, you have to be able to go in and kind of look at it like any other data point that's on your training peaks and just kind of be like, okay, well, this, this is what I'm at right now. This is what I can get to. And it's, it's experimenting a lot with yourself. Like nutrition is such a complex science. And I mean, people go to school to be dietitians for like 10 years. Like you go and get your master's and stuff. And, um, there's no real, I don't believe there's any like super easy fix, like, cause you have to feel yourself and you have to figure out what works for you. Like some people can eat a bunch before they go run and other people can't. And some people have a faster metabolism than others. So there's, there's no quick fix and there's no like right diet for one person versus the other. Cause everybody's slightly different too. Yeah. I think it's, it's kind of like a, a big picture thing and just looking at and trying different things, like slowly making small changes in your diet and seeing how that affects you.
2: Yeah. I think that's so, I think you, you come across a good point point. nutrition is so unique. Like you can read all you want. You can, we like to recommend, you know, just start with the basics and write down what you do and Mm -hmm. see how you feel. I mean, that's step number one.
0: Um, Yeah. You kind of be surprised at how much you eat or how much you don't eat and what you do eat compared like on any given day. And It's sometimes it's hard to find good information on nutrition too, because, uh, anybody who has a blog can kind of call themselves a nutritionist and give you whatever fad diet is out there. So, um, I would suggest for like, and I've talked to multiple nutritionists about this and, um, yeah, I think it's good to get a lot of differences of opinion of people who have really studied the, the science and who have read, keep keep up to date with the newest papers that are coming out because we're always learning more things, um, in nutrition.
1: So we have a lot of, um, triathletes that listen to this and a lot of those triathletes have kids. And so Mm -hmm. if they have a child who's like kind of looking up to guys like you and, and like thinking about a possible Olympics, (laughs) like what could their parents do because I know your parents have been mm-hmm. such an instrumental part of your journey. Yeah. What as a parent could they do to to support that dream? Like not just support it like it's real, like they yeah. matter.
0: Yeah, I'd say just yeah, be completely supportive, like be there, like I mean, it takes a lot from the parents driving to different practices, making the meals, um getting the equipment and all that sort of stuff. And that's that's all huge, but just uh I mean don't. It's always hard because you want to be that super supportive parent. You want to be into it and all of that, but you don't. You don't want to be overbearing. You don't want to have to to force them all the time. But um like to support the motivation that they have. Like for me growing up, I, I knew that I always had these goals. Like I wanted to hit this swim time or whatever. And um, sometimes, like my parents did have to force me to go to swim practice or something because we were tired or we didn't want to. And, um, I mean, we paid to be on that swim team. So it was the expectation, like you're going to go to swim practice. That's what you signed up to do. And you, if you really don't want to do it next year, like you don't have to, but we were always encouraged to try different things, like try a bunch of different sports, see what you like, see what you're good at. And when it came down to it, like no matter like how my race was, they were always at the finish line there. Like whether it was to support me if I didn't have a great race and be like, like my dad, like, don't worry. Like, this is fine. This isn't the end of the world. There's always a bigger race Mm -hmm. out there. There's always the next one. Um, or it was to be there to congratulate me and tell me how proud of me they were. So yeah, I'd say just, just be there and be encouraging. And, um, don't don't be the parent who is yelling at their kids and telling them that they need to be better they need to do that like the coach the trust in the coach too the coach is there to make your kid better and to to make sure that they're putting out their effort and it's uh it's always kind of sad sometimes to see and I grew up uh, around kids whose parents were like this and Um, I, I don't know how many of them continued on, but it was like the parents who's always there, they're yelling or they're telling them all that was a terrible swim or whatever. Like there's, that's, that's kind of the coach's job. It's not, it's not always the parent's job to, to do that.
1: Yeah. And it's always, I think pulling out, what did you learn from that? Yeah, quote unquote, terrible swim. And then what can you do? Like there's so much yeah, power exactly. in that to take it and move forward. Um, and so I think what you're saying, is like, you know, support them and everything, but also sometimes you have to be there to say, listen, this is your dream and I'm hundred percent behind you now get out of bed. Yeah.
0: And it's fine and to, to have swim. high expectations yeah. too. Like my parents always, you always want to push your kids to be the very best. Like I was always expected, like, uh to get good grades in school and to perform well in sports but it was always um they wanted to see me do my best and to try my best and to give in like if i had if they saw that i was studying really hard for a test and ended up you know with a c or something like that they would be like well did did you really try hard like did you put effort and um they they would know like okay yeah the the c is the best ben could do on that day yeah. it's the same thing with sports
1: exactly how is that different it's not different at all yeah. so at the beginning i asked you what it takes and from what you've told us over the last hour is that you gotta do the work.
0: Yeah, You that's, just have to
1: do the work day yeah. and day and day after and day. After I like day.
0: the, yeah, I like the saying that uh, hard work beats out talent that doesn't work hard. That's, that's a good I one like and I, I don't feel like I was born with any spectacular talent or anything like that. I worked very hard to get to where I was And, um, like that's, yeah. And I, I mean, there are, there are junior athletes out there right now too, who maybe aren't, um, winning every race, but they're working really hard and they, they could be the next person who comes up through it. So I think, especially in triathlon, if you work very hard, you can get, you can get very far.
1: So you have a quote on your, on your, um, website and I want to close with this. It's don't just live, but live for a purpose bigger than yourself. And that's from Mark Owen, who wrote that book, No Easy Day. Yeah. What, is that, what does that mean to you? Why is that up? Like, what made you put that up there?
0: Yeah, I mean, I just, it's, I mean, and I was told this as a kid, too. I mean, it, I'm doing triathlon. Like, I'm a professional triathlete. It's a pretty niche sport. Like, there's, there's a small group of people. You're not overseas fighting in wars. You're not doing all of this. So that, that kind of puts things into perspective. And, you know, I, I try and... Uh, I try and be my best self and, you know, to be a good role model for people who are younger than me. And it, it gets hard. Like if you're just doing things selfishly for yourself, racing for yourself and all that, it, that can only take you so far. And I mean, you, you can look at multiple different athletes who have said this, they're racing for um, someone who's passed away or for their family. Like, I, I feel like I'm racing not just for myself out on the course, but for all the people who, who helped me get to where I am for my support crew. And, um, like I really, I wouldn't be able to do this sport without that, whether that's sponsors or my parents and family, my friends. And each time I step on that start line, like that's, that's one of the things that I'm thinking about. And there's, there's more in life too, than just results and all that you should, you should strive to be. Be a good person.
1: One of our guests that we had on a couple months ago was a a mentor of mine, a yoga mentor. And he said, um, we were talking about doing things for the good of all, as Mm -hmm. opposed to just doing them like for ourselves, you know, that, that, that selfishness that you were just talking about. And then he said, um, you know, remember that the good of all includes you. Yeah. Like when you're doing something for a bigger purpose, when you're looking outside of yourself, um, you're in, you're in there though, you're in that group. So when we do it for a bigger purpose, we are also included. We're not left behind. Yeah. We're a part Mm -hmm. of the, the, um, the all, the everything.
2: Yeah. I think we're, I think that pretty much wraps it up. Awesome. um, How can
0: people follow you? Follow your adventure for 2017. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm on Twitter and Instagram and, um, Facebook. So, I mean, I think my Twitter and Instagram are both at Ben Canute. So that's pretty, that's pretty easy to follow. I kind of have an athlete page right now. It's kind of in the works on Facebook. But yeah, and then my website. My website kind of connects all of that stuff okay. into one place with blogs and links out and all of that. So Ah, uh, Yeah, bencanute.com. Okay. Great. Cool. Well, awesome. we'll put
1: links to all that stuff up in the show notes. And thank you so much for inviting awesome. us into your home here Yeah, thanks Tucson. for having me on the show. Yeah, absolutely, man. And good so, luck. We'll uh, be following you. Thank
0: you so much. Thanks, Ben.
1: Awesome.
2: Cool, man.
0: Yeah, thanks for coming in. <laughs>
1: Oh my God, right? (laughs) Ben is just beginning. I mean, think about all he has ahead of him. It's so exciting to envision and it will be even more enjoyable to watch, especially as he climbs through the ranks and distances of multi-sport. But we know that although Ben sees the same excitement, he will remain in the moment. He will remain in his workouts, building one day at a time because he knows that's exactly what it takes. So we hope you guys enjoyed this week's show. Thank you so much for sharing with your friends, families, tri-clubs, and the like. The trickle effect of all of that is so big, not just for our ability to secure guests like Ben, but also to further the reach of our guests and add more momentum and encouragement and inspiration to their journey, with the best part of it all being that we get to be a part of it. The strength of community is everything. And like Ben said during our chat, it's not just him out there racing. He carries the power of his entire crew from start to finish. And we do the same thing every week when we record, produce, and release this podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. Thanks for your support through using the Amazon banner ad and the YTP Patreon page. And thank you for being a part of raising the vibe of this planet. Peace out and so much love to you all.